The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on the three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and said, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and Paul joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they all are acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Let's pray. Father God, I pray you would uh, speak now as we open your word. Pray you would give Randall the words, um, that it would be you speaking and not him, God. We know that um, it's easy for us to let ourselves in the picture um, when we should be letting you up front. Um, so now, Father, we pray that that is the heart of Randall as he comes up, and I pray that that's the heart of us to receive that, um, to take things from your word, Lord, and not from anywhere else. Um, so, Father, I pray now that you would just speak to us um, through your word. In name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ricardo. Hey, good morning, everyone. Again, as Ricardo said, uh, if you could turn in your Bibles to Acts uh, 17, 1 through 9, that's where we're going to be this morning. And, um, you know, I do want to say, again, thank you for uh, those who've jumped in, new volunteers. One of the things that I shared with them, I said, um, I'll let you in on a secret. Uh, the, the best part of our church isn't just going to be a Sunday morning service or even a city group. It's going to be the people, the people that you walk life with and that you learn with and that you grow with as disciples in Jesus. You know, that, that, that's what it is. The church is God's people. And so uh, I wanted to share that with you this morning, too. You know, just it's not going to be enough just coming and, 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 and engaging in a service, but really connecting with the people that are around you, uh, because that's what we're seeing in the book of Acts is that it's real-life people being changed by the power of Jesus. God is changing their lives. God is changing their hearts. And as we looked at Acts 16, we saw specific individuals who, in their own various ways, might not have been naturally uh, converted to become Christians. But God does a work in their life um, in a specific and unique way. And so that's my hope for us this morning is that we hear from God in a specific and unique way that, that points us to Jesus. And so our text is from Acts 17, 1 through 9. And, and the phrase that should stick out to us, at least it stuck out to me when I was reading it and studying it this week, is this. Turning the world upside down. Turning the world upside down. Who are these people who are turning the world upside down? We live in a culture that says, go change the world, right? Maybe there's mission statements that we've believed in that says, you know, change the world. 
But what type of change are we being motivated to make? How are we changing the world? And what does that look like? If you were to ask some who invented the iPhone and to to listen and to hear a little bit about how they feel about the changes that they made to the world, they regret it. They regret some of the changes that they've made. It, It actually keeps them up at night. If you talk to some of the people who've created social networks like Facebook or Instagram, and you were to ask them, what do you think about some of the changes that we made to the world because of social media? They said, we actually regret the changes that we made. You see, not all change is good change. And so what does it mean that early believers turned the world upside down? They changed the world. Well, Os Guinness, who's a British theologian, in his book, Renaissance, The Power of the Gospel, However Dark the Times, addresses specifically the American church. And it's always helpful to get an outsider's view and what they think about us, not just an insider's view about what we think about ourselves, right? And he, he talks about uh, how, whether the, the American church today has the same life-changing power to turn the world upside down like the early church once did. And here's what he said. He said, a striking symptom of the church's problem in the West today is the fact that in a country such as the United States, Christians are still the overwhelming majority of citizens, or at least people who claim to be Christians. But the American way of life has moved far from the way of life of Jesus, which means simply that the Christians who are the majority are living a way of life closer to the world than to the way of Jesus. In a word... They are worldly and therefore incapable of shaping their culture. Now, this is a bold statement that he's making here. But as we studied the book of Acts, what we see is that early believers, they were very distinct from the world that they lived in. They, They live contrastingly from the world, yet they don't separate themselves from the world. They don't say, we're not going to engage in that. They don't separate themselves. And this is the prayer that Jesus prayed for his followers in John 17. In John 17, 15 through 18, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. What does Jesus mean here? Well, in today's text, we see that the gospel calls people, that the message of Jesus, the, the real Christian message, calls people out of their old lives, but also God transforms them and sends them into the world. A hurting, broken world. See, believers were living the way of Jesus, and it was obvious to those around them. People saw them, and and this is what they said. They are turning the world upside down. And so what's it mean? Two missionaries, Samuel and Amy uh, Swemmer, said God is turning the world upside down that it may be right side up. 
That was their perspective. That God's turning the world upside down that it may be right side up. Right, you're gonna see people and, 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 and do they see in your life that there's something that, that's right. Not just an argument, but an actual life change. They say, man, that's the way I think it's supposed to be. And so how does God send his church to engage the world? There's many people who have different ideas and takes on, on how the church should engage the world. But in his book, Christ and Culture, Richard Niebuhr gives some very helpful distinctions on the way that the church has and can engage the world. One take that he says is that um, the church can be against culture. Basically, and maybe some of you grew up in a church like that, where it's like everything is bad out there. Don't go around the bad people that are out there that aren't in the church. It's completely against culture. So he says that's one take that the church has taken a stance on and said this is how we're going to be. And I think in many ways it's caused a lot of damage, maybe in the way that you maybe personally experienced the church or maybe others have experienced the church. Another way he says is that we can be of culture and we could just consume culture and not critique culture and just basically everything about culture we're just going to bring into the church and it should be just very similar to the way that the world operates. That's another take. And I think in that way, it's also watered down the gospel and doesn't help people to understand what it truly means to be a disciple or live as a Christian. But then another way, he says, and this is kind of a, a mixed way that you can view it, but he says that there's, you know, Christ above culture where Christ comes in and, and there's different parts of the culture that are good and so it kind of mixes in and helps. Uh, there's a paradox also of understanding there's a paradox between the two, like we're not the same. But ultimately, he says that we're to be transformers of culture, right? That you go out into the world and you make a difference, not running from the world, not running from your friends or people that don't believe the same things as you, but going out and saying, how can I help be an advocate in, in transforming the world with whatever God has put in my hands? The fact that you can go out and see your work and what you do most of the week and say, I can live out my faith in this place. That you can go to school and through your schoolwork, honor and worship God through that. That in every part of your life, you can live out the gospel and, and, and that be a transforming presence for people that see you and they say, what's different? How are you living this out differently? And just like it says in First Peter that, be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Right? Be ready to, to answer that. And say, actually, there's a lot more to me than just what you see on the surface. See, we need to know the importance of this. Because uh, there's a study that was recently done called The Great Opportunity. And actually, uh, uh, a friend that, that comes to our church here was a part of that group that did this study, uh, Nick Bonner. Um, but in The Great Opportunity, it, it talks about the, the American church in 2050, and it says, uh, the next 30 years will represent the largest missions opportunity in the history of America. So it says, the largest missions opportunity over the next 30 years in America. And in this research, in this study, it says that uh, right now, Gen Z is the largest generation in U.S. history. Sorry, millennials, we're not it anymore. 
right? We're not the focus anymore. Now it's Gen Z. And he said that Gen Z already constitutes 26% of the U.S. population is, is still growing, still growing. Uh, 47% of Gen Z is the most, uh, it's the most racially diverse generation in U.S. history. Most racially diverse in U.S. history. But it also says that the likelihood of Gen Z youth who've grown up in church walking away from their faith, it's, a, it's around 50%. About half, might be more. We talked to some of the college campus uh, ministries and, and asked them too, what are you seeing? But why are, why are these statistics like this? Why does it look like this? The question is, are we willing to look in the mirror and say, do we believe the same faith that our brothers and sisters did as we look in the book of Acts and say, is that a faith that's turning the world upside down in the best way possible? This is important. See, so over the past year, we've been studying the book of Acts and we've learned the heart behind God's church, his vision, and his people. And what we've seen, again, is that the church is not a building, it's not a set of programs, but disciples of Jesus are those who are sent out with the power and the strength of Jesus and the goodness of the gospel to share with those who need it. See, Jesus said in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If you were to think about the mission statement for the book of Acts, Acts 1.8, right there, Jesus says, I will give you power to be my witnesses. Again, what kind of witnesses are we? Is it one that, that's going out into the world and how are we wanting to, to see the world changed? Well, the text for today is Acts 17, one through nine. And just to give some context in today's text, the Apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey along with Silas. Uh, they've teamed up and, and they've also uh, left behind Luke, who's the author of this text, to care for the Philippian church. And so remember, we were looking at the Philippian church, which was planted in Acts 16. Luke is left behind to care for those people as they form this new church. But also what we see is there's a new church plant in Thessalonica that's planted. And so... Thessalonica at the time was the second largest city in Greece and it was highly influential. And so, how are Christ followers in the book of Acts turning the world upside down? Well, we can see from today's text uh, three ways. Uh, the first one is it's through an upside down messenger. Second, it's through an upside down message. And thirdly, it's an upside down mission. Messenger, message, mission. So the first one is the messenger. Look at verses one through two. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Now, what's happening here? Well, the team made their way from Philippi to Thessalonica. And the first place they stop is in 
this city, in the city is the synagogue. Now, what you remember from last time, in the last chapter, we saw in Philippi, they didn't have a synagogue, and so they went to the water where people they found were worshiping, were God-fearers. Now there's a, there's a city with a synagogue, and so that's the first stop. And in this synagogue, it's, it's where worship was going on, and they would have had a, an idea of what we would call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. They would have had an idea of what was taught. And so he goes into the synagogue, and it says that Paul went in, as was his custom. Paul went in, as was his custom. Now, if you've been journeying with us through the book of Acts or you know a little bit about the scriptures, uh, then you know about the story of Paul. At one time, Paul was not named Paul. His name was Saul. And if you know anything about Saul, Saul was an upside-down messenger. He was an upside-down messenger. He was somebody who you would not have expected to be the one who would have went into the synagogue and proclaimed the things that he did. But what we saw in Acts is that God meets him, radically changes his life, sends him on a new direction, despite all of the things that he'd done in the past. Paul, by the grace of God, had all the credentials to be an upside-down messenger. He actually tells it to the Philippians. He reminds them of it. Remember the Philippian church? He reminds them of it in Philippians 3, 4 through 8. He said this. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for the sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. The Apostle Paul, in the Jewish system, in the Hebrew system, he was at the top of the top. But now as he walks in to a synagogue where he would have worshipped as a child, where he would have learned the Torah and the Hebrew scriptures, he's gone from the top of the top to the lowest of the low. That when people looked at him and heard his credentials, they would have said, you had it all. You had everything. You had the right education. You had the right experiences. You had the right mentors. You had the right people in your life. But then you threw it all away. For what? The message. He says, I count all of my past experiences, all of my education, all of the experiences that I had in life, I count them as rubbish for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So he's going into the synagogue where he could have been looked at and, and, and thought very highly of if he would have held to his Jewish tradition is walking in now and saying, all I know is Jesus Christ. All I know is the Messiah. All I know is that he's changed my life in a radical way and I didn't deserve it. 
And what did he do? He took all of that education, all of that knowledge, all of the things that he, he knew, and it says that he reasoned with them from the scriptures. He's taking all of the experiences and saying, now all of my past, all of these things are now funneled into me helping people understand that the Hebrew scriptures, all of the Old Testament, is about Jesus. He's the key that unlocks everything. He's the secret. It says he reasoned with them in the Greek. It means that he, he, he was thorough in his explanation. He was open to discussion about this. And he said he reasoned with them. See, they knew their Old Testament. And so he's pointing to them, much like what we find in Luke 24, as Jesus is walking down the road to Emmaus, and you got these two people who are discussing Bible things, things about Jesus. And it says that Jesus comes among them, opens to them the scriptures, and it says he shows them everything from the law and the prophets that pertain to him. I would love to be a part of that Bible study, right? Jesus is taking the scriptures, opening it up to them, and you know what it said? It said that their heart started to burn within them. It started to burn. There started to be something that was, was changing in their hearts that was real, that was coming to life inside of them as the scriptures were opened up and Jesus was telling them about himself and saying, here's where I am, here's where I am, here's where I am. And so Paul is standing there as this messenger who is, would have been an unlikely messenger standing there in the synagogue reasoning with them saying, look at Jesus, he's here, he's here, he's here. Everything that I had in the past, all the good things that I did, those things don't matter anymore. That doesn't matter. All that matters to me right now is what Jesus has done for me. And how did he reason with them? I love reading through Acts because you're able to look at some of the letters and, and, and hear the heart behind what Paul is, is proclaiming. In 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul tells us and the Thessalonians how he felt in this moment as he's sharing with them in the synagogues. It says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you become very dear to us. Paul is saying, I'm not just sharing a message, I'm sharing the message that God has put in me, my life. The story that he's writing in me, I'm here to share with you. I'm here to share my life with you. Here's the thing about the gospel and about Christianity. It's not a, a, a cold set of rules and regulations. It's not. It's a person. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus and who he is. And when you know him and, and, and that message becomes real in your life, you are this messenger whether you've grown up in church your whole life or you are brand new. Right? Everybody's story is different. But the fact that, that you become a, a, a messenger of the message because you're a living example of it, this is what Paul is living out here. See, for Paul, it wasn't just sharing a message, but it was sharing his life. And so let, next, let's look at the message. Verse three, it says, explaining 
and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. Now here's something we need to understand. For people that that would have believed in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, in their common theology, it was not a common thing to believe that the the Messiah was going to suffer. That wasn't common. That's why it was confusing when Jesus goes to the cross. (laughs) Okay, and so now Paul is saying, okay, Let's open up the scriptures. Let's open up the Bible here. Let's show you, I'm going to show you why it was necessary for Jesus to suffer. And so um, he's explaining, he's proving that it was necessary for this to happen and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. He's putting a name to the Messiah, to the Savior. See, it says that Paul was explaining and proving Jesus suffering and rising from the dead. Now, again, the Greek words for this was was that for for that explaining and proving can be described as revealing or setting a case before them. He was was doing everything he can to, to, to reveal, saying, hey, look at this, look at this, look at this. Look, it's true, it happened, it's real. And he's setting this case before them. Now, what's this message of the gospel of a suffering servant? What's this message of of an upside-down nature? What did that look like? I love this um, from Simon Camilleri. He says this. He says, we have to stand on our own heads. We have to turn upside down. That's what the cross of Jesus does. It turns life upside down. When the people expected the Messiah to arrive as a king in a palace, he came as a baby in a manger. When they expected him to claim Jerusalem riding in in the city on a war horse, he came riding a donkey. When the Pharisees expected him to praise their moral efforts and good works, he condemned them as hypocrites. When those who knew they were sinners deserving judgment expected to be turned away, Jesus ate and drank with them and offered them forgiveness. And then, in the great climax of his ministry, he turned all their expectations upside down. When they expected the Messiah to crush the pagan Roman Empire and establish God's kingdom by the death of those who oppose God, Jesus gave himself over to the Romans and let them torture and crucify him. Instead of killing those who oppose God, Jesus died in their place. Instead of pouring God's judgment out on sinners, he willingly let it be poured out on himself so that sinners could be set free. Do you see the upside-down nature of this message? Do you see how it's like no other message that's proclaimed or preached? It's a message that just doesn't make sense. See, what was Paul explaining? He was taking the people through the scriptures and showing or sharing with them the upside-down nature of the gospel. See, here's the thing. When we walk into church, for many of us, we feel maybe unworthy, like, how could this 
be true, or maybe we've been working really hard thinking that we're earning God's favor and love. But here's the thing, the message of the gospel turns all of that upside down on its head and says it's not about good people and bad people. It's it's not. It's about people who are willing to lay down their good works and their bad works at the foot of Jesus and say, Jesus, you're actually the only one who's really good. I need you. I need you. See, that's what it is. It's not a self-glorifying gospel. It's a God-glorifying gospel. It's one that lifts up Christ and looks at him. I love it. C.S. Lewis in his book, uh, Mere Christianity. I love it when he confesses this. He says, Christianity is not the sort of thing anyone would have made up. Christianity is not the sort of thing anyone would have made up. It's just so different, unique, if you understand the message of Christianity, that you step back and you say, that's, that's wild. It's just like this, this completely different message than what we would have come up with. Because usually what we come up with is a set of rules and regulations of how we can be better people. But God says, no, it was so desperate that I had to send my son Jesus for you. And that's the message. It's that simple. God came for us to rescue us. Lastly, it's the mission. Look at verses four through seven. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. They're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Lastly, this was an upside-down mission. Doesn't make sense. They're not going to go into the city and become the most popular people in the city, but they're actually putting themselves in harm's way, and we see this all throughout the book of Acts. Uh, first thing that it sticks out is, is, is how this mission is very honest. It's honest. I love it how it says in verse 4, it says, and some of them were persuaded. Some. Not all of them. Some of them. The people who were the most educated in the scriptures, some of them were persuaded. Here's the thing that we need to understand. Just because we have a lot of Bible knowledge doesn't mean we understand the God of the Bible. Do you know that? Do you know one of the, the scriptures that, that should stick out to us and really make us think a lot is, is Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus says there are going to be people who are going to come up to him and say, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. And he turns to them and he says, depart from me, workers of wickedness, because I never knew you. I never knew you. He didn't deny that they did a lot of works and they actually did it in Jesus' name. But they, he says, he, they, they, I don't know you. 
I don't know you. See, we're talking about this mission and understanding who God is, and I love the honesty of it. It's like, hey, this wasn't like this grand revival that happens in the city with the people who knew the scriptures. Just some of them heard and received the message. Some of them believed. And I think that goes against some of our ideas in American Christianity where we think that just because something's growing or massive or huge, it's successful, right? Because if you look at the Old Testament and you look at people like Isaiah and Jeremiah, by the grace of God, they had fruitful ministries. But not many of the people actually believed. They suffered greatly for what they believed. And to go along with this, there, there's, there's an honesty of what's happening here, but there's also a surprising upside-down response that comes next. It says, and, and a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women, they believed. They believed. And so what we see here is there's these, the, the, this group who would have been labeled as pagans, as outsiders, as worshipers of other gods. They're listening to what Paul is saying, and they're saying, we believe that. We believe it. And there's this beautiful diversity that comes. There's, there's leading women in the city that are, that are hearing, that are probably entrepreneurs like Lydia and all of them. And they're, they're in the city, and they're hearing this, and they're saying, this is true. And so what's forming is a beautiful, diverse church. Remember, the gospel, again, breaks down barriers and the least likely are invited in. Whether, whether that was because of gender, whether that was because of the culture, whether that was because of socioeconomics that were going on in that city, the gospel invites everyone in and you see how the gospel transforms the, the gospel is what, what's happening here it's it's affirming the imago day you know what that is right the, the 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 beauty of god's creation that you are made in the image of god so it's being affirmed here saying yes like the person that you would have that probably wouldn't have been the first person to come into the synagogue that, that was outside the synagogue that might not have known all the traditions and rituals yeah, they're a creation of God. And they're invited into the family. And they're invited in to be a part of this. But it also brings peace where there was division. You know, there's division in cities. There's division amongst people. What should fruit of the gospel be? Is that some of those divisions and those barriers are being broken down by the power of Jesus. That's a sign of the fruit of an upside-down mission in an upside-down kingdom is that there's barriers that are starting to break down. And what happens next? Well, it's, they were misunderstood and they suffered greatly for that. In verses six through seven, it says, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. They're present in the city. And Jason has received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there's another King Jesus. Now, did, what was the, the, the focus of Paul and, and Silas to tell the people, 
You need to be lawless. You need to just go against all the rules and regulations of Caesar because there's a new king in town, Jesus. You think that was their focus? No. Their focus was not on, on Caesar. Jesus even says, he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar. Give to God what is God's. Jesus didn't do it. And Paul and Silas weren't doing that. But that does not negate that Jesus is king. But again, his kingship is a different kind of kingship. It's of an upside-down kingdom. It's not like the kingdom of the world that fights for power but actually suffers in the midst of whatever they're facing. And in that, in that, we're proclaiming the gospel of a suffering Jesus that rises and as you rise above your suffering as they rise above their suffering because here's the thing this church survives this church keeps going this this would have been something that we would have thought that's going to squash the church right we're going to scare them we see that the 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 Jewish leaders in that city started to become jealous and so they started to to raise chaos and they were actually the ones going against laws and decrees they were the ones going against the law. But they were doing this, blaming it on the believers that were in the city. And these believers that are now here, this new church, they would live a misunderstood life. And they would suffer in the city. But the Thessalonian church survives. That's how we know the letters of 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, right? We know those letters, right? The, the letters that are written there. And so this church survives. Leslie Newbegin says, the task of the church in relation to the events of the world, of world history is not to be the governor and controller of them. We want to just govern and control everything, don't we? Not to be that, but to be the suffering servant and witness of the Lord, manifesting in its witness the true meaning of these events manifesting it, living it out. and saying, you know what? There, 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 there's things going on down here, but ultimately I believe that there's a, there's a higher king and I live for him in the midst of whatever we're facing down here, whatever we're going through. And so just some takeaways today as we wrap up. How can we live for the upside-down kingdom? How can we live this way? Just some applications. Number one, God transform your life, transforms your life into a message. God transforms your life into a message. For some of us, we think that that message that he's telling, it's not that great. You know, it's kind of a boring story. It doesn't really mean that much. But I want you to know that anything that God writes is good. Anything that God does is good. And if he's transforming your life and transforming your heart in the midst of your struggles and trials and whatever it is that you're feeling, he can rise above that. And that God transforms our stories, your story, into a message that, again, should accompany the message that we proclaim. Because next, God sent Jesus to be the message. Right, here's the thing I want to take the pressure off of you. For some of us, we think we gotta have all the answers, right? We gotta have all the answers. There's a world right now that's 
that's hurting, that's, that's, that needs Christ, and, and we feel this pressure of like, oh man, I got all the weight of the world on my shoulders. You don't, and I don't either. But here's what we need to understand. At the end of the day, when you've got people, you're, you're, you're asking, what, what if I don't have the right answer? You don't need to point to the right answer or the perfect answer because you might not have it. There's a lot of mysteries in this. Paul, the Apostle Paul says there's mysteries of God. you understand that? Like God is bigger than what we can box him in to and say, I got him all figured out. That's why we got to keep studying the word and keep growing in the Lord, in the Lord right? We got to keep growing. He, he didn't send you your perfect answer for that person. He sent you a perfect person. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And so how can you point people to Jesus? And also do that in a humble way of saying, hey, maybe I don't have the answer on that and I'm actually trying to figure that out myself. That's why it's a journey, right? But we come back to the scriptures. What did Paul teach from? The scriptures. And so we learn, we grow, we, we, we develop as disciples. We're on this journey but our focus and our eyes are fixed on Jesus. Remember what it says, Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12, right in there. Faith, living out in faith. It says keep your eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of your faith. Who's the author and perfecter of your faith? Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Grow in him. He's the message. And lastly, God sends you out to the world. One of the things that we say every week is, Grace City, you're sent. Grace City, you're sent. And that's why I say that Sunday morning is not just what Grace City is, but we're a people that go out into the world and that God is working in your life to go make a difference in that world, Right? to go make a difference. And so when we say at the end of the service, Grace City, you're sent, we believe it. I believe it. One of the verses that we know, and maybe people that you interact with know, is John three sixteen through 17. In that verse, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And in verse 17, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Let that sink in. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. The perfect person came died, rose again for the world. And so if we think about what's going to turn the world upside down, like early believers, it's actually believing that the only power to change the world truly comes from the one who came to save the world, right? He came to do it. The weight of the world isn't on your shoulders and it's not on mine either. Jesus said, I can carry that. I can carry it. Do you believe that today? Do you trust in that today? 
Is that good news for you today? That Christ came and that he is the hope of the world. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for how you've not just made it something where we just recite a message that's true, but we are transformed by that message. Help us to see, Lord, how you've made us into messengers for your glory and for your kingdom. Take the weight off of our shoulders, Lord. Help us to study your word and what it says. Not just study it, but to live it out in our everyday lives. Give us the strength, the power through Jesus and your power, the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.